I get a little bit tired of Democrats afraid of big ideas. I don't understand why anybody goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we really can't do and should be fight for. Hello, and welcome to an episode of Blue Island Red Sea, a political podcast on the Aging Hipster Network. My name is Bob Serrano, and I'm the host. I am joined today by Aaron Parrish. Aaron is a feminist, grassroots organizer, and an aspiring stay-at-home cat guardian. She spends most of her days advocating on behalf of and organizing Minnesotans to take action on a myriad of policy issues. She travels the state, and sometimes Iowa, educating Minnesotans, elected officials, and candidates on the issues. Hello, Aaron. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So I think we should probably start with a bunch of disclaimers to cover our rear ends and all of this kind of stuff. So from my end, my goal with with doing this isn't about uh, really getting on and shaking my fist at other type of people. Um, I It really is coming from my own personal journey. Um, I would say in about 2016, I kind of, um, all the, all the stuff that happened with the election and stuff just really kind of made me check out on politics in general. I was just really kind of bummed out about just all the vitriol that was kind of going on in amongst the, pol- uh, amongst the populace and all that kind of stuff. So honestly, I spent a lot of time just paying attention to stuff like the NBA and not politics at all, but you know, we're coming into a really kind of key time in our country so i figured this is the this is the time to kind of get back and to try to educate myself and in the process of educating myself i wanted to do a kind of a series on my podcast and invite a bunch of people that i really respected that that i can ask really dumb questions to to help me get uh kind of back in the game so to say and of course aaron you were one of the first people that kind of came to mind um i definitely respect your opinions greatly and with that saying like and to the listeners out there this is what we're just really trying to have an honest conversation about that stuff where uh there's plenty of people out there going to be talking about the administration or have a whole bunch of opinions of course we have our own opinions and opinions and biases but we're trying to leave them at the front door aaron did you want to jump in with any disclaimers of your own yeah i think i mean Everything that you said, um, you know, I'm a a grassroots organizer um, and there are a number of issues that I advocate for, but the folks that I work with, rarely do I really know what their political leanings are. Um, I get, you know, some sense of kind of what they support, what they don't support, but my main goal is to really focus on issues and to get those issues passed. And you can't always do that by being partisan. Sometimes you have to step across the aisle. You've got to understand and talk to other people and really try to find some common ground with them, which isn't easy to do. And you can't always do it. There's just some people you're not going to find common ground with. But mm-hmm. so I really come at the like looking at the political landscape from a grassroots organizer perspective. So I am not a pollster. I'm not an elections analyst. Um, I'm not an election administrator. But it's really more for me, like understanding where people are coming from and what uh, people are wanting out of a leader. And before we get really started, uh, I want to take care of some 
housekeeping. Uh, you can find this podcast network on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Please rate, review, write reviews, nice reviews only. If you have a mean one, don't write it. I think it makes a difference. I don't really look at any of the stats, but I, I hear people say that it makes a difference. And if you want to uh, write an email to me, my email is aginghipsternetwork, all one word, at gmail.com, aginghipsternetwork at gmail.com. All right, so today's topic that, that we're going to be talking about is meeting the Democratic candidates because, quite frankly, there is literally 30 of them. Is that true? Like, do you even know what the number is, really? I do. There's 21 candidates for president, and 19 of them are from the Democrat side. You know, I was, like, kind of looking in here, and there's people I haven't even... Like I haven't heard about this guy that played for the Florida Gators national championship team. I could probably vote for him because of that. I can uh, respect that. It, it is pretty crazy. It is. And actually, so you'll probably find that there's going to be more than the 19 because mm-hmm. anyone who meets kind of the requirements can run for president. So if you're a natural born citizen, 35, been a resident in the U.S. for 14 years, you can run for president. But anyone who meets those requirements, they have to raise or spend more than $5,000 on a campaign in order to register with the General Elections Commission. So they might not show up on kind of, you know, all of the lists, but there's folks out there who are running that, like, I haven't even seen their names. Um, I just stumbled across like some completely random, like, I mean, when we talk about fringe candidates, like this is like the fringe that's fallen to the ground. Um, like people who are, who are running on some really weird platforms. So there's more, but the, there's the 19 who are like the, you know, they're, they're who everyone is like, most people are kind of aware of. I, I don't even want to say most people. I will take that back. Like people like me are aware of. Because I have to know these things for work. And I am not aware of them because I am like Joe Everyman here. And that's why we're doing this podcast. I would love to get into the fringiest of the French, but that's going to, we can do that in a couple minutes. So you talked about kind of like how to qualify to be a candidate is about like raising $5,000, right? Yeah. And to get your number into this 19, do you need a little bit more? Because it seems like this, what, this Marianne Williamson person like came out of the woods or something? Like, Yeah, she, <laughs> I mean, you know, and she's independently wealthy, but right. to make the, you know, the demo, the DNC set some requirements around debates. So the folks who were seeing, you know, who we saw in the first debate where it was spread across, you know, nights and there were so many people that really is like they kind of had to, you know, winnow down the pool a little bit by setting some thresholds for Mm -hmm. who would qualify for a debate. So in the debate that's coming up, there's there's only 10 people and the requirements that they had to meet I mean, it's really interesting to me in terms of winnowing down the pool because there's some pretty stringent requirements. So, you know, they had to attract for this one both 2% support or four qualifying national or early state polls that were released between a certain amount of time and then get contributions from 130,000 unique donors. Like, that's a pretty high threshold and not something that we've really seen Mm -hmm. in the past. And then for the fourth debate, that threshold is going to be set even higher. And so you do have kind of like the Marianne Williamson's of the world who kind of just showed up. They have money. They've met the requirements. And I mean, you know, and I'll be the first to say, like, she's she's got some good ideas. 
you know, that's one of the things with this pool that is we're kind of looking at who's running, who's debating. We kind of have an embarrassment of really smart people who are running. I, it, it'd be great if they could winnow that down a little bit more and figure out ways to support each other. But I mean, it is actually, again, from sort of the grassroots perspective, it's pretty cool to see so many people like stepping up and throwing their hat in the ring. And for some of them, you know, they're not running for president because they know they're going to win. They're running for president to raise their national profile. Some of the governors, it's so that they can, you know, keep their seat because they're in a state that kind of swings back and forth and they're like, well, if I can get my name out there nationally, I get more support. So it's been really interesting to kind of watch who's like made that sort of not kind of isn't a front runner or isn't kind of like the the pack that's leading, but is really making up the full pool of who's on the who's out there making a name right now. I think we're, before we get into the individual candidates, we're kind of fortunate that some have actually dropped out. So <laughs> that made things a little bit easier. I think three dropped out, four maybe, Jay Inslee, yeah, uh, John Hickenlooper. Um, God, yeah. it's been so hard to keep track of who, I do have a list with me somewhere, but um yeah, it's there's been a number who have um, actually dropped Inslee, right? You mentioned Gillibrand, Hickenlooper, um, and the other one was uh, Seth Moulton, who uh, he's uh, represents a district in Massachusetts, um, and it really was kind of running, you know, positioning himself as a moderate and kind of contrast to some of the other folks who are there, and he dropped out recently too. Great. So let's uh, let's uh, launch into the first group. Group. I I I don't know if it's a good idea or not. I suggested uh, breaking them up into three groups. So the first one that I'd like to address is, I guess, what we that I'm calling the fringe group. The people on the way out there. I'd love to hear the fringiest <laughs> of the fringe. Before we start into the the people that have like a little bit of support in your research, did you find like what's the fringiest person you found? Oh, I can't even remember the name, but they're uh, they're currently. I, th- I think the person was currently in jail. <laughs> uh, I, I honestly can't remember the name. I started reading through the list and was like, this is blowing my mind way too much. But I'm pretty sure one uh, was currently running from prison. And I, it was a white collar crime. Uh, but again, it was like on a platform of cleaning up the government. Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't memorize those people or kind of like make them stick in my head. So, <laughs> well, it's probably pretty easy to figure out what his motivations are. Like right. with his plank. Exactly. He's like, when can I parole right. people? I'm like, <laughs> like I need to parole right. myself and yeah. And Julio from the yard, <laughs> like I... he owes me a favor <laughs> or I owe him a favor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, right. I own some cigarettes, so I'm just going to I'm just right. going to parole Saved me from that shoving. Yep. Or pardon them. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. So, who did you identify as members of the Yeah, group? you know, I think because of this de- the the debate and the way that this is outlined, um I actually kind of look at the the 19 who are there 
And I think there's some clear front runners, which I know we'll talk about. And then I think those who made this debate threshold, I'm really kind of considering them the pack, um, you know, because okay. they're going to get more of that time. There could be some changes. We could see some different folks in the fourth in the fourth race. But um, so in that fringe, um, I identified uh, Gabbard, Ryan, Bennett, Bullock. Delaney, de Blasio, Messam, Sestak, Steyer, Williamson. And then I feel like Yang is kind of fringe just based on like his background and his base, like his grassroots base. But I would also put him in the pack because he made that debate threshold. So that mm-hmm. one is a little, it's like kind of fringe for different reasons, but still makes the pack cut. Would it surprise you that? He's the only candidate that I follow on Twitter. <laughs> no, that doesn't Andrew surprise Yang. me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he really speaks to uh, being afraid of machines, which I can identify with because I've, I've seen the Terminator and I know that Skynet's something to be afraid of. So I think I really understood what he was saying. And he spoke I, to you. I'm he half joking. You. Yeah. You know, I. He definitely has that folksy charm. Like, you know, he's, he's tw- uh, Twittering about. Uh, Game of Thrones, right. you know, he's talking about the NBA, you know, and he's uh, pretty I relatable. Mean, I was at a series of forums yeah. in Iowa recently, and he was one of like, he was one of three candidates, four candidates who actually came out before the forum to like actually meet the people who were there and talk to the audience members mm-hmm. and shake hands. Um, and I have to say, I mean, he has some really interesting ideas. Um, you know, right. He served under the Obama administration. Um, but I really, I, I'm so fascinated by this universal basic income concept. And this is kind of mm-hmm. getting more into a little bit of policy, but there's some like um, small cities in, I think like Norway or Finland that are kind of piloting what a universal basic income could look like. Um, and I think it's such a fascinating concept. And he's he's really the only candidate that's like talked about it as something that we could do right. here. Um, and I think it's it's definitely an idea worth exploring. Yeah, I, he's. I mean, that's a really interesting. I, I saw that study. I think it okay. was Finland or something. You could be right. It was, it was a definitely a Scandinavian country. They they found a few hundred or maybe a thousand something. It was a low number of people that they gave uh, only mm. for three years this income and they saw saw it was pretty amazing how these people were you know they they still right. work jobs but they were able to work jobs that they really liked because they had this little bit extra that right. helped yeah. out you know especially if you're looking at living in a city or maybe living anywhere in America it's already hard it's already very exactly and, and i think you know <laughs> most people want to feel valued and that comes with work right so i think some of the pushback right. he, he has had on that is, you know, well, you know, then people will just take that money and they won't work. And it's like, I don't know that that's true. I mean, I think there's people who, you know, I think a majority of human beings want to do something meaningful. And, you know, if, if you lose your job and now you still have this universal basic income, you're not going on other types of safety nets because you have that and can spend a little bit more time looking for Mm -hmm. something. It's an interesting idea. Um, Again, it's a pretty, um, pretty progressive. I I mean, it's way progressive um, of an idea. And I think that that does kind of push him 
a little bit more to the fringe because it is a, an idea that I don't think most of America is ready for. Right. Do you think he's the most likely to emerge from the fringe group because he has a very unique idea compared to other candidates who may just be, you know, obviously they're all unique in their own ways, but they're more run-of-the-mill politicians? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a, he he comes from a very different background than most of the people in that group. He comes across as very relatable. Um, I think he's capturing kind of a younger millennial crowd. Um, but I've also seen a lot of older people um, really grasp on to this universal basic income idea. Um, I mean, this is a group that's, you know, just starting to benefit from Social Security, which, you know, Social Security is a, a guarantee. It's their money. They've paid into the system. But they also see what that, you know, knowing that that income is going to come in, how that can kind of you know, make things a little easier for them. So they relate right. to it. So I think I think he does kind of have this relatability across generations. Okay, well then let's uh, progress to the rest of the people that are going to be in the debate, which I call the Peloton. I don't know <laughs> if you're uh, familiar with the Tour de France. I did it's... have to look it up, Bob. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, sorry. That's okay. I watched a lot of uh, NBC Wide World of Sports when I was younger. So that's why I was thinking, like, you know, usually there's this tight pack of people that are pretty close together. <laughs> and so who did you identify to be part of this group? So I identified, again, I threw Yang in there, even yeah. though we talked about him in the fringe. Um, Castro, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, Booker, Warren, and Harris uh, is who I threw in for that one. Okay. And so you put Warren as more of the pack and not a front runner? Oh, did I say Warren? Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, sorry. Front runners. I mean, I know we'll get to that. Um, yeah. I Biden, Sanders, and Warren were the front runners yes. for me. So. So that pack, sorry, uh, Buttigieg, Harris, oh, yeah. Booker, O'Rourke, Klobuchar, Castro, and Yang. Who in this group do you think really has a good chance to emerge and join the front runners? I think that Harris has a chance. Um, she just, um, you know, she really had. Um, a great first debate and it gave her a bump in the polls, but then she kind of dropped after the second debate. And just to, just to review, she kind of uh, roughed up Joe Biden a little bit, right? Right. Yeah. She, she really, um, really kind of went after him uh, over some, uh, over segregation um, and was really, I think the first to take him on which then we kind of saw in the second debate, others started stepping up to do that. You know, she has favorable ratings, but her message is pretty muddled. She's not really kind of like, she's not really kind of coming out with some unique ideas. Um, She's really playing up her background as a prosecutor, which isn't going over well with younger progressives. Um, and those who really kind of have a distrust of, of policing and law enforcement. 
Um, so I, I think she really needs to kind of do some work in order to rise above and to kind of come out on, um, be, you know, be really like bold and clear about what she stands for. I think if she can do that, she can probably kind of get back into that front runner group because I think before, you know, when she hit that second debate, I would have put her as a front runner. Uh, mm -hmm. she was all anyone was talking about, um, and then she just kind of like started dropping in the polls after that. And how about Mayor Pete? How is he doing right now? You know, he's 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 doing good with a, a demographic, I think. <laughs> right. I mean, it's yeah. The thing is, is he he kind of like became a bit of a front runner online, right? Yes. He went viral like that, which right. none, of, none of the other candidates really have. Um, Warren came a little bit close with the nevertheless she persisted and that she has a plan. But I think, um, you know, I think he's doing well among younger Midwesterners. And I don't even want to say younger. I think people like my age, I think those... Uh, you know, older millennials, younger Gen Xers. I think he's doing really well there. Um, and he's, you know, frankly doing really well with the, with white people, but there's a lot of, in his own state, there's a lot of distrust and he's not really um, winning over voters of color. And I think he has some work to do there and, and really needs to kind of, again, like Harris stand out in the debates. Now, on the other hand, his political optics couldn't be better. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, when you think about that, like, you know, checking off the boxes of who like a dream candidate are, I would be. I mean, Rhodes Scholar, like, you know, military background. Um, he just like it, those those optics are are really great, but they're not really kind of playing well on that sort of national platform and he's not really like leveraging you know i i'm I, watching him in some of these forums in iowa it was surprising to me that he didn't draw more on his military background um i really thought he would have done that especially some of the forums that i was at uh, we're a much older crowd, a lot of boomers, and I, I would have thought he would have drawn on that more, and he just, he barely talked about it. He actually came down to Austin for Pride, because in Austin, of course, because you're in Texas, you have your Pride Parade in August, where it's 100 oh. degrees, but he did come down, and he kind of brought down the house. It was, uh, it was pretty impressive. You know, yeah, so. he gives a good speech. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, how about some uh, some other people here? Um, sixth in polling is Beto O'Rourke from El Paso. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he definitely um, being here and going through his campaign. I was actually one, at one of his last campaign stops with my family right before the election with Ted Cruz, and I can just definitely speak that it was definitely pretty. Yeah, there is that you can hear, you can feel the electricity through the crowd. Everyone wanted so badly. To, for this to happen of course i'm in austin so it's not like exactly i'm in every you know uh, you know i'm in like right. the blue bastion in in texas uh but you know he speak you know he speaks spanish even though who uh castro kind of chides him about it uh <laughs> <laughs> that was a really interesting debate moment. <laughs> um yeah i'm sorry the meme with like booker's face was so great <laughs> anyway 
but did you have anything about uh, Beto? Yeah, you know, I do think he's a little bit of a wild card in this race. Um, and I wouldn't put him up there. You know, I don't think that he can kind of pull ahead like Harris. But I do think he's definitely it's hard to know yeah. where he'll go because he does have that that popularity from that last run because right. it wasn't just in texas i mean everyone like They're he sending you know, money yeah right and i i think what's unfortunate is after that after he lost I, I do think he's faced a lot of pressure from supporters to drop out of the presidential race you know, when you're running a campaign, you need to listen to your yeah. supporters because they're they're funding you, <laughs> they're doing your work, right? They're door knocking for you, um, and that's the last group that you want to isolate. But you know, at the same time, he has a lot of political mm-hmm. talent. I mean, again, another person who like I I love a good political speech, and he gives yeah. a really good one. You know, it's I think it's interesting to to you know does will his policy work be as strong as as that speech um and i think that that's a question uh that a number of people might have i do think you know and he's now kind of rebranding his whole campaign uh to really focus on gun control and to really go after trump so i think it's even interesting at this point i mean there we've got a long time before before the presidential election before the primary election But, I mean, really, like, the Iowa caucus is just around the corner. I mean, it's just a couple months away. When is it? Um, Is it really that close? uh, close? February 4th, I believe. Um, Let me double check here. I do have a handy timeline um, about when that is. I'm fairly certain it's February 4th. You know, but I I think to kind of really rebrand a campaign... Like at this point, as we're approaching a third debate, is is pretty yeah. pretty risky, but you know it could go really well. Uh, Iowa caucuses start February third. Okay. So if he can really like, you know, spin this new rebranded campaign and make it take off, I mean, I I do think, it, who knows where he'll go with it? Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. And you gotta give him. A little bit of respect because he def- definitely hustles out there. I think I just saw that he went on a bus. He just took like a bus from pl- point A to point B, you know, <laughs> just talking to people. Yeah. You know, and he famously went to all the counties in Texas. I think he's probably mm-hmm. been to all the counties in Iowa already. He's just driving around his yeah his minivan. He just He's just driving, puts that Facebook Live thing on, and he's just going around, going to Burger Kings and Whataburgers and yeah. – I I mean, that's definitely part of, you know, uh, what makes it attractive to people, you know? Yeah, he runs, he's running a a good campaign, that's for sure. How about Cory Booker? Because I think he was definitely one of the people that I I feel like from my limited um, view was kind of tapped as a early front runner. And now, now, Mm -hmm. now where is he? You know, I'm not exactly sure where he is in the polls, but... Um, I, I, I have that. I'm looking at it. According to Politico, the week ending September 1st, 2019, he is at 3% 7th, uh, okay. below Beto O'Rourke and above Andrew Yang. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's interesting. And I I do, um, you know, I'll admit I've, I've always liked... Um, I've always liked Booker. Um, I think he inspires a lot of optimism. 
Um, but I just don't think that he's gained attention in, in again, in the debates uh, or even really in kind of the national news circuit. I think he has more name recognition nationally than some of the other um, other people who are kind of who are in this pack. But I think, I mean, he really needs to kind of like, he really needs to pull ahead and he needs to have like a really strong debate moment in order to, to move forward. It's also interesting, you know, Biden has a lot of uh, strong support with older black voters and Booker is going to have to tap into that and break that somehow um, in order to, to kind of move ahead. Um, you know, he's got, as a, as a former mayor, he's got a lot of experience with infrastructure. Um, I just recently learned he was a part-time firefighter. I didn't know that. Hmm. Um, apparently still is still doing that. And I think he has a lot of really good progressive ideas. But there's also then just some some policy things that I think a lot of progressives call into question. He's been a strong supporter of charter schools, um, which for a lot of progressives doesn't go over well, as they'd prefer that he really, you know, was you know, favoring public education. Um, there's a perception that he's close with Wall Street. There's been a perception that he's in the pocket of big pharma. Um, although I will say over the last, um, I think two years, he hasn't taken any money from pharma, but prior to that, he, he did have quite a bit of money from them. So I think, you know, uh, among progressives, there is um, kind of a question about, you know, how, how much will he fight for those values. Now, at the same time, you know, some of those things might fare well with the moderate crowd and really kind of trying to pull some of those folks who are a bit more from center. But I, I think he just, he needs to really do more in the debates in order to kind of pull ahead. All right. So Aaron, did you want to talk about Amy? Yeah, I think I have to. I mean, I'm you know, she's she's my senator, um, and I've done a, a lot of work with her in the past. And I have to say, there, like when she announced her candidacy, the political optics couldn't have been more perfect. You know, she was on the Mississippi outside in the middle of a snowstorm, and there were all these people crowded out to come and see her, and it it like made national news, not just because she was announcing her presidential you know candidacy, but because I mean the political optics were just perfect, and everyone who got up and spoke was able to be like, "We're hardy here in Minnesota, and this is why Amy's gonna win." I think she she really kind of started strong when she announced, but she just has not really kept up with with the rest of them. I do still put her in that pack because I mean I think she she is really working hard. You know, there's there's folks who have the name recognition, and they don't really kind of have to like do the strong grassroots stuff that others do. And she is really working a very strong uh, grassroots campaign. Um, I also think just, uh, you know, looking at where she's been in Minnesota over the years as a senator, I mean, she is very moderate. At the same time, she's kept that seat for a long time. And I mean, there's Republicans in the state who vote for her because she she's just really good at her job. I think 
if she could gain some name recognition, she might be able to really kind of move move forward a little bit. She's super strong on issues like combating fraud and scams and antitrust issues and really strong on those consumer issues, which play really well with boomers. And I think she could gain some favorability there if she could just kind of uh, break through that top tier a little bit. You know, it's fascinating. So I'm on uh, Politico and they have this little thing where it says compare candidate supporters by all these different kinds of metrics. And when I was looking at the breakout in between age and gender, and this is for the top 10 candidates, and mm-hmm. Senator Klobuchar is number 10, it is fascinating that her kind of breakdown of support is basically the same as Joe Biden. <laughs> it's like they're both, they're both like 55 plus men and women. That is fascinating and, and not surprising. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it is kind of like a mirror image of of Vice President Biden a little bit. Right. And they're both a little folksy, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> that's that's funny. All right. Anybody else from the pack that you wanted to get into? Um, one last one that I will mention, um, just because I have admired him for years, uh Julian Castro. Um oh, yes. he's a you know, I am not confident that he can kind of break through this. I still put him in the pack. Uh, really great on infrastructure uh, issues, immigration. He had a lot of uh, VP buzz uh, in prior presidential elections, and I think we'll see that VP buzz again after probably the Iowa caucuses. You know, I think that he really comes with a, a great story. He's, you know, unfortunately not moving in the polls. Um, mm-hmm. And again, he had a really great uh, debate moment, um, but he hasn't um, really had much sense. And I think he's going to need not just a really good debate moment, but he's going to need a debate moment that's going to go viral. Um, in order to kind of launch him above that. But he's one that I kind of feel like we're going to see his name on the VP shortlist again. Thank you. My name is Joe Biden, and I am Joe Biden's husband. That's how I'm known back home. That's how I'm known most places. All right, so let's get into the meat of the race, the front runners. It, it, right now, just looking at this poll from Politico for the week ending September 1st, 2019, we have Joe Biden at 32%, Bernie Sanders at 20 and Elizabeth Warren at 16%. Which one did you want to tackle first, Aaron? Oh, why don't we just go in order <laughs> of where they're at in the, in the polls? Uh, that just might be easiest. So, I, you know, starting with Biden, this is one that I will say does, it, it does fascinate me that he has the support that he has. Uh, not that he's not a qualified candidate. It just, um, it's just surprising to me, kind of given the slate of, of others who are there. And, um, you know, Sanders had so much support in the last election that I... I'm just surprised that Biden is really that far ahead of where Sanders is. I think he has a lot of strengths, um, a, a 
among kind of where where things are or you know where his supporters are i was reading a political article that talked about he has the sympathy factor um that you know he's had a lot of loss in his family and that that kind of makes him feel a bit more ordinary and people connect with him and i didn't really buy that until um i was i was talking with my mom um and you know, she, she had just said, she's like, well, you know, I just, I really think he has a strong sense of family and I really like that. And that's that sympathy factor, right? right. He talks about his family all the time. And I was like, wow, yeah, that, that is a thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think he has that where, where people really uh, kind of relate and sympathize with him. He has a strong resume. He's a really strong fundraiser. He's got the name recognition, you know, I do think he he does struggle with people who are under 35 um, and really kind of gaining that support. And I think he's kind of got some work to do there. He has a lot of support from older African-American, from the older African-American black demographic, older people and women, which I'll, I'll talk about that one because that one does surprise me. But I, I think he's got some work to do with younger people he's run twice before and not been elected so 98 2008 um and i think sometimes that can that's not always a strong point to have it's not a strength to have run that many times and and not won and then i mean i think right he's 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 had some negative media around maybe being a, a little bit too close, maybe a little bit too handsy with women, um, which is why it does surprise me that he still pulls really well there. My bigger concern with him is that, you know, while he has a lead in national and state polls, there's been a lot of, like, some missteps in his campaign, which, you know, I... I don't manage like I don't manage presidential campaigns, but I manage issue campaigns. And when you have missteps really early on in a campaign, it's hard to bounce back from that. So, I mean, you can bounce back from it, but like the longevity of your campaign starts to become a little questionable. So, I think it'll be interesting to see as that uh, as the pool winnows like how strong his campaign continues to be against uh, some other folks who are starting to get a little bit more recognition nationally. Yeah, it seems like his campaign is totally buoyed by men and women 55 Mm -hmm. years and older. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely got a lot of support with the boomers. Interesting, though, one of the forums that I was at in Iowa um, and just kind of talking with folks after, and it was, again, a predominantly an older crowd, they, like, and, and it wasn't an official poll. It was me just being friendly with people and chatting. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was a, a, a lot of people, like, he, he wasn't the first name that they mentioned, um, and they were a little put off by the the way that he addressed the crowd and the way that he ignored the moderators mm-hmm. and, and i think that that that's maybe not the impression you want to leave on iowa right exactly because there's so few voters and all of them right. are probably so precious right precious to each person and they and they really set the tone i right? mean they, yeah. i mean iowa and new hampshire yeah. they set the tone And at a time when we have three people in this country owning more wealth than the bottom half of America, 
while 500,000 people are sleeping out on the streets today, we think it is time for change, real change. Same age, totally different support is Bernie Sanders. So if you look at this whole thing as like his base, his base is totally the inverse of Joe Biden. So like all the Bernie's, uh, par- you know, Bernie supporters' parents are voting for Joe Biden and their kids are <laughs> going for yeah. Bernie, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, and I do think that Sanders may have lost because in the last election he did have actually a lot of uh, white boomer males um, in his base. And I, I think he, he might have lost some of them, I, I think, over to Biden. Um, maybe not all, but it, it seems like that, that has shifted a little bit. You know, and I think Sanders does speak to a younger crowd. I mean, he's he doesn't identify as a Democrat. He is as left as left can be. He has a really popular agenda. You know, he's really progressive on economic issues. Uh, which a lot of younger people are really concerned about, and rightfully so. He he's not. Um, he doesn't really focus on social cultural issues, which his his support with younger with the younger um, younger people does does always surprise me that he really doesn't focus on those. Um, and when talking about kind of all of those isms, he's actually said that, you know, those aren't issues. We just need to solve the economic issues. And then things like racism and sexism won't, you know, won't be an issue. And I, I think that that's really interesting. And I, that's a whole other, you know, topic and sociology and psychology of like how that works. But, right. you know, he has really bold messaging. He doesn't get off that messaging he has his drum he has his bernie drum he does and he's just wailing on it and i think i might take some flack from people for saying this but it's pretty similar to trump's bold messaging right well don't worry there are only about six people listen to it okay so i'll have i'll have six people really angry at me um but no that's interesting yeah why don't you like expand on that a little bit yeah i mean the make america great again and sanders um I, i can't think of kind of the a tagline that he uses but it's both very they're both very bold Mm -hmm. um they both really get to something's broken and i'm the person who's going to you know i have the plan to fix it but they come from a we're going to fix it together uh message it is a very um not just a bold message but the messages are very um inflexible right yeah. This is the way it is. This is the answer. Frankly, they both shout a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. Are they also are they also getting support because they are identifying who you need to be angry at? Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. They're they've both identified a bad guy. And but they've done it in I It's think, almost the same bad guy too. Right. I think, right? Or am I mistaken? It's a little different. It's, it's a, a little bit different. It's There's, a little yeah. different, right? But it's, I mean, yeah, they've they've identified the person you need to be mad at. Um, yeah. You know, there's they've taken sort of that middle ground of um, I don't I don't think personal responsibility is the right word that I'm looking for, but they've taken it to this is someone else's fault. Your struggles are someone else's fault. Um, it's either corporate America and greed, or it's, you know, I mean, people who don't belong here, right? It's, I mean, right. it, it's kind of this, 
very um, black and white message um, and people don't, they can get angry about it, right? They can get angry and that passion can really be there. And, and I, I do think it's a, it's a little bit from the same campaign playbook. It's just a different message. Um, it's both very populist uh, in a lot of ways. And I think that's why we saw when Sanders lost the nomination, many of his supporters voted for Trump because it was still stirring the emotion, right? And I think that's what a, a lot of those folks are, are looking for. One thing that I definitely saw after the election, there is definitely a lot of debate and acrimony between uh, people that are more pro-Hillary supporters and, you know, which I guess you can identify as more kind of traditional Democrats mm -hmm. and then other kind of Bernie supporters. Is this, is that still out there right now? Is that, is, are those bad feelings still out? Are people still I, I upset? I think they are for some people. I mean, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, and, and I'll be, I, you know, I, I think they are for me a little bit, you know, yeah. um, but I do think there is some of that. Um, but what I do think is that people are more in a mode of, you know, they're going to support their primary candidate, but I also, what I'm hearing more and more is like, tell me when you have your candidate, like, and that's who I'm supporting, where it really is no longer kind of this, we're going to pit Democrats against each other, where I think there is leaning toward more of a unified, like, we just need to win this. Right. Um, and that, that wasn't there in 2016. Um, so I think that's different, but you know, I I do think, you know, Sanders is a, a front runner for a reason. He's never dropped out of the public eye. He has always kept himself there in the public eye. And he, um, I, I think, really did accomplish in moving the Democrat part, Democratic Party a little, you know, closer to the left and a little bit further away from the, the center. And I I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, but I think he definitely set out to do that. Is that like essentially kind of the debate between these front runners? Like, isn't that kind of what is centered on where you have someone, someone like Vice President Biden, who's who represents this old moderate, old guard right. attitude, and you have Sanders and Warren who are different? Yeah, yeah, they're a little bit. I mean, I would, if, if we're moving from the center, I'd have Biden, Warren, and Sanders, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you do have them kind of like pulling, pulling a, a certain way, you know, and for Sanders, he has some really big ideas, you know, some really big ideas that resonate well with people, um, you know, from a policy perspective, I don't know that they're always realistic, which I think is where like Warren kind of becomes a bit of a foil to him and where mm -hmm. some of her, she actually does have, I mean, that's her campaign, right? I have a plan for that. But I, I think that, um, I, I think that he'll do well. He, he runs a good campaign. He met, he's really resonates with people. He's not doing well in early States as, you know, as well as others. And so it, particularly Iowa. Um, so I do think he has some work to do there. He does struggle with Latino voters, um, a little bit of work to do there. Um, and then I, I do think that there are some voters who are looking for a bit of a different profile. Um, we saw that in 2016, he's an older white man. He had to apologize in his last campaign for not dealing with some, you know, 
inequity and sexual harassment issues. Um, and I, I think he will have to kind of struggle to win back some of those voters who he lost over, over, over some of the missteps in 2016. But he's up there for a reason. And I think he'll, I think he'll stay. I think he'll stay in that front runner circle. Let's get into the last frontrunner, Senator Elizabeth Warren. She's really gained a lot of media attention over the last, um, just over this summer. Um, I think that you know her campaign has had a lot of really good opportunities to put her out here this summer, and she's uh, had a steady rise in the polls. She's a really strong fundraiser. Um, she's kind of taken you had taken a note from Obama's playbook and Sanders' playbook and really focusing on those small donors, which you know you don't don't see with all campaigns. I think campaigns are starting to kind of catch on uh, that they they can't discount small donors. And she had some two really great debate performances, and I think we'll see a, a third great uh, debate performance from her. I, I think. You know, she's gotten favorable media coverage, but she hasn't really been the focus of attacks from other candidates, right? Um, where we've seen a lot of, you know, we saw Harris, we saw Booker, we saw them go after Biden. Um, we haven't really seen others go after Warren. And it, so we don't necessarily know how she'll react to that and, and how that will go. And so that will be really, really interesting to see. Um, she is doing really well in early states and a smart campaign move is she's already set up her infrastructure and campaign shops in early states, which not all candidates have done. So she already has campaign workers on the ground set up in Iowa and New Hampshire and offices set up there. Um, so she's, she's in it for the long haul. Um, mm -hmm. And while she's, she's kind of getting a, a pretty uh, a good rise in Iowa, uh, there, she has kind of slipped in New Hampshire a little bit. So I think she'll have to do, do a little bit of work there. A um, couple of other things about her that I, I think are really interesting. Um, she's... Uh, She's a consumer advocate, right? Consumer right. issues are her issues that plays really well with boomers. Um, it's for the same reason that uh, boomers love Amy Klobuchar here in the state. Why they loved our former attorney general, it's because they're strong consumer advocates and, and boomers get really worked up when a company is taking advantage of a consumer. Um, so that plays really well. Um, I do think um, you know her base overlaps with Sanders, so they're going to be fighting for the same pool of voters. So I think it won't surprise me if we start to see the two of them kind of really start you know starting to launch some attacks at e at each other. I think Sanders will have to be careful about how he does that, given right. given twenty sixteen. One thing I think is really interesting about her. Um, is that she she was a Republican. 
Really? Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, given how progressive she is, um, yeah, she's a former Republican. And then when she became a college professor, she started really doing a lot of the research and reading on these economic issues, and it completely changed her perspective to where she became a Democrat. And so I think that's interesting. She hasn't really been playing that up. Um, Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about that is, to me, I mean, she understands where her opponents are coming from, right? Mm -hmm. And not just her political opponents, but those who are not going to vote for her. She kind of understands why they vote Republican, right? She understands why they land where they land on the issues. So I think she might have a little bit of an advantage there and kind of like getting into the mind of people who don't vote for her. Um, so that will be really, just really interesting. A couple other things. Um, she's really, you know, outside of setting up kind of shop really early in those states. Um, that's a smart campaign move. But the other really smart campaign move is that she is spending a lot of time building goodwill with fellow Democrats on a state level. So the states she's in, she's talking to governors, she's talking to state lawmakers, and really building relationships there, which is a really good strategy, right? (laughs) Because it's politics. Like, they're kind of looking for their what's next, but they're also looking for someone who can help them fundraise. Yeah, Um, someone to invite to the barbecue, to the county fair, all that kind of stuff. Yes, and she's um, one of the candidates who um, is starting to be a little bit more visible on that. Interesting. Yeah, so I think she's running a really smart campaign. And, and I'm not saying that because, I mean, I think from my perspective of everyone who's running, I think she's running the smartest campaign. And I'm, that is not like because she's, you know, kind of my top personal choice. It's because as someone who runs campaigns, like she's running a really smart one and making all of the right moves and making it visible so that other people who do that work and who give money... And mm-hmm. like they're going to pick up on that. Um, so I, I think that gives her a bit of an advantage. But, you know, I, I think she has two strong rivals at the front. And like I said, I think Kamala Harris could kind of sneak back up again. It's just so hard to tell at this point. But, and, you know, she, she's got, like, like most of the candidates running, she's got some stuff in her past that, you know, gives ammo uh, for others, the you know, whole DNA test thing that uh, unfortunately is like ammo for the other side, right? I don't think that yeah. the Demo- like her fellow Democrats will use that, but I think the other side will use that. And I was also reading um, her 2018 re-election in her own state um, wasn't wasn't that great. By no means was it like a, a close race, but uh, she won by 24 points, which seems pretty good, right? But it's a mm-hmm. blue state, a safe blue state. And so that's kind of a low, lowish number for a safe blue state. Um, so that's, that's another, another thing I think that's interesting to think about is what does that mean in terms of her getting support from her own state? She'll get it, but to, to what extent? Like, will it be overwhelming? 
we'll see. So, I mean, three three great front runners. I mean, this is really just going to be a, a fascinating primary to watch. I think one of the more fascinating primaries that like we've had in a long time. Well, we got a lot of time to watch it too because <laughs> I don't even like in about 5 years is the election. It has has it always been this long or is this like uh I guess let me rephrase this. Have all the primaries lasted a year and a half or is this just something that has happened recently? Are people just rearing at the bit to get started again? You know, I've I've been like I've been wondering about that myself because I feel like it's starting earlier and earlier. But as I've like talked to some folks who have been doing this kind of work and paying attention to this kind of stuff much longer than me, they've kind of been like, no, this is the way it's always been. Um, And sometimes I just wonder if like the, you know, advent of social media and just that we're constantly connected to everything all the time now, like makes it seem like it's always happening. I mean, that's a good point. You know, there is a point where there was not a 24 hour news cycle. Like there weren't channels that only aired the news. Right. Um, Right. So it wasn't it's just like always in our face now. And especially if you're on Twitter. But I mean, you know, the Iowa caucuses have always been early and they have to start campaigning long before February. Uh, So it doesn't kind of make sense when people say that. I just feel like we're much more aware of it than than we were before because the the world is literally in our face all the time. (laughs) That's true. And they start fighting and eating each other well before the Iowa caucus. And I think that's one of the things that's really kind of a bummer looking into this. It was something really silly like i think like beto like announced that he was running or something and they're like we found a poem from when you were 15 years old and you were kind of like all sorts of weird and creepy and stuff it's like oh my god like who is in a terrible time i know (laughs) but do you remember that they're like they're just like going through and i can't even imagine like i'm just imagining 40 years like so like for instance say my son who's two now he's 42 then he's almost lived his entire life online you know yeah whether on instagram and all that kind of stuff right it's kind of makes me think about it look differently about posting his pictures but imagine that like it's it's all out there it is and it's going to be totally different i mean i don't even know how you can be a candidate in 40 to 50 years like you're just going to have to be in like a test tube or something like in the chamber not doing anything right uh yeah, because you know? if you're not on social media, then people, you know, don't know who you are, right? So you have to be right. there and you have to be, I mean, you should be careful about what you post, but there are, I mean, plenty of elected officials who aren't, you know, and they, they post whatever they want and stuff is dug up from, you know, long before. I mean, I mentioned I mentioned earlier that uh, Tulsi Gabbard is on record of saying kind of some negative, you know, LGBT comments and, and that could hurt her. And it's right. I mean, not that, you know, people shouldn't be held accountable for what they say or what they do, but it is much harder to leave your mistakes in the past these days. Yeah. And yeah, I I, there was a point in my life and my career where I was really like, yeah, I could run for office one day. And now I'm just like, no way, yeah. <laughs> not going to happen. 
I mean, there has to be something like if you're looking at somebody like Tulsi Gabbard, if you, you know, whatever she said, I'm not really that familiar. There has to be like a, some sort of, you know, people change, right? you know, and I think it's right. totally conceivable that whoever Tulsi was back then isn't what she might be like. You right. were talking about Elizabeth Warren used to be a Republican right. and now she's a super progressive candidate. Right. People, but stuff gets just get frozen in time. Right. Yeah. Whatever ugliness is out there. Exactly. People people grow. That's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> right. And when we're like constantly dragged back into the past, it's impossible to do that. And again, I mean, people need to be held accountable. But yeah. there's a point where you, I, I mean, and this just is an old, right, the like, long-term recovery sober adage but you are not your past mistakes right (laughs) like they don't define you or they shouldn't define you like you can let go and move on but the gotcha culture is so out there that they have it and it's just like here it is or whatever i don't even know it's it's so complicated i don't even really want to weigh in because i'm just like oh i don't even know (laughs) right i I might say (laughs) the wrong thing yeah exactly (laughs) right yeah. yeah, and you knew me when I was younger, like who I was then. Like, like I'm so glad I wasn't tweeting what exactly I was thinking oh, man. most of the time. I, I've always been a good person, but come on, right. like, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> no, I don't even want to think about what I would have tweeted at like yeah, 25. Uh, yeah, it's like if you're not listening to this promise ring CD, you're trash. I don't care. <laughs> I think I heard you say that exact phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So when's the uh, next debate? It's like the 12th? Is that when it is? Uh, is that... Yes. I Well, hold on. Let me let me just confirm. I'm not great with the numbers, and I mix them up, so I always have stuff written down. Um, but yes, I believe it is September 12th. September 12th is the next debate. Um, so that's going to be another big pivotal moment that will drive new narratives and all that kind of stuff so all this all this stuff might be the same or it might be all jumbled up and different exactly and then you know the fourth debate will be sometime in october and that could be another two night um two night debate depending on how many candidates meet uh the new thresholds that'll be set which will be a much more stringent qualification that they institute for that that next round so we'll, we'll see exactly how many how many are there uh it looks like the next the fourth debate will be october 15th um and if they need another night it'll be october 16th so yeah that'll be coming up pretty quick well i would love to have you on again so you can tell me what happened so i don't have to watch well, <laughs> just tell me I, afterwards. <laughs> I, I might be watching after along with you because for this next debate, I, I, I'm not watching. I'm going to a concert. So I'm checking oh. out. Totally checking out. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Well, that's okay. Well, I really appreciate you being on here, Aaron. Aaron, if there's, do you have any sort of social media that people, if they wanted to, my six to eight uh, listeners, they wanted to follow you, friend you, whatever. Is there anything, is there any place that they can find you? Yeah, I mean, so I'm uh, notorious underscore EEP on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Instagram is not political at all. It's food, yes. cats, and music. Um, and Twitter I, is uh, mostly me just retweeting work stuff. So, But you're welcome to follow. Uh, a lot of the work stuff um, touches on some of this more on policy issues. 
Great. And then thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I am Bob Serrano, and this is the first episode of Blue Island Red Seas. And you can get this on the Aging Hipster Network, the podcast feed. You can find it on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I'm trying to get it on Google Play. I don't even know what else. It's, it's all out there. It's just all out there. And I really appreciate your time. And have a good night. Thank you.